hubbub, a chaotic din caused by a crowd of people. Hello and uh, welcome to um, the Directors Hub Founders Support Club and Hubbub, uh, which is a chaotic din caused by a crowd of people, our podcast series, and we are now on season two. We would like to say thank you to our sponsors, the Sussex Business Show, uh, the premier game-themed trade show event in Sussex. So thank you for sponsoring us. What I would like to do is just introduce our first guest of the day, um, and it's Gary Smith of Simply Business Finance. And the talk title today is Business Finance, of course. And it'll be a discussion on how and why you should get financial assistance and what's involved so that you can run your business more effectively. So welcome, Gary. Thank you, Sonny. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us um, on this beautiful sunny day, though obviously the listeners won't know that. Um, but um, could you tell us uh, a, little, a little bit about your business, please? Yeah, sure. So Simply Business Finance is a completely independent commercial finance brokerage. So what that means is that we will enable our clients and customers to access funding solutions that wouldn't normally be accessible to them. So rather than a, a client just going straight to their incumbent bank and asking them for funding assistance when they need it, they can come to us. We can actually go to their bank, but we can also go to the bank next door and probably about another 250 different lenders that we actually have at our disposal. So it's about providing different solutions for individual customer requirements. Interesting. Um, and what would you say are the biggest challenges that you're facing in business at the moment? Uh, well, personally, you know, there's, there's sort of multiple challenges, of course, because we're trying to keep up to date with all the legislation changes. Uh, we've got the uh, consumer directive coming through next month, um, of which we are sort of uh, certified and we're, we're sort of OK with that side of it. But it's more to do with the lenders and how they are actually changing their products and the criteria. They quite often say that a week in finance is a long time. I've got to say a couple of hours in finance is a long time. <laughs> okay. I'm constantly getting emails, constantly getting phone calls from our banks and our lenders where the criteria has changed, rates have changed. There's nothing that's actually stable anymore. So what we might have yesterday will be completely different today. So, of course, that's having a knock-on effect to clients. If they go and contact their bank direct, thinking they'd get one product, the next day it could be completely withdrawn and they've got to go through the process again. So that there are challenges that, you know, whilst we're actually having those challenges, keeping on top of it, it's far more rooted. Um, clients, customers, etc., just really don't have the ability to get the funding that they really do require. The flip side to that is that they're quite often going online, they're looking at the aggregators, the platforms that are out there, and they've got a place, you know, they do work to an extent, but they're not individual enough. And again, the moment they go onto a platform and look for funding, it's out of date. So what they end up with is not what they've actually applied for. That's, um, that's, that's critically hard, isn't it? Especially from a regulatory point of view, because you said the term that you're heavily regulated um, and if you're having to change those all the time so invariably what how does it work so if somebody somebody uh, how long does it, how, how long does the process take for somebody to actually sign up for um, finance if they're looking to get three thousand pounds or five thousand pounds how does it work yeah I, I think it's it really is a case of quantum and, and what they want if, if they're looking for sort of three thousand five hundred or 
3,000 to 5,000, I should say, that sort of level. That's relatively quick in most cases. Um, yeah, there are funders out there that would just make a quick decision. We, we know the right people to go to, and that's, that's the benefit of using a finance broker rather than just going to the bank. If it's something a little bit more bespoke, such as maybe property finance or restructuring of existing business debt, the process at the start, coming through a finance broker, should be relatively straightforward. We should be able to get decisions within five days, generally, for the client. The process thereafter could take a couple of weeks, could take a couple of months, or in some cases, dependent on what the client's actually doing, could actually take 12 months. Wow. So that's that's a, a huge change in yeah. how and what they're looking to achieve. Do you find that um, people tend to, I'm not obviously asking you to name clients because obviously it's confidential, but do you find that uh, the majority of people tend to go for low amounts or do you find from um, that people are looking for much larger amounts and within the restructuring process of a business? So obviously if they're moving into a new property, there's a whole sway of different costs that I guess they have to look into. There are, and I would say there's two very distinct things there. If someone's moving into a new property, um, we might be asked and we have been asked by our clients to actually fund the property itself by way of a commercial mortgage, which we, we, we'll do with one of our many funders. Uh, then, of course, you've got the equipment that goes into the office. Again, we, we may use a different funder for that side of it. They may require some working capital for marketing, taking on additional staff, etc. It's not just one facility to, to capture the whole thing. There'd be multiple facilities that we put together so that A, it, sp it spreads the client's risk, but also the funder's risk. They're not all in it, you know, and, and funders don't like to have overexposure to any one client. On the flip side of restructuring, what we are seeing are smaller requirements coming through in some cases, but because because of the information that we get and because we like to get to know our clients on a, a, a sort of professional basis and actually get every bit of information we can out of them to ensure we're going to get them the best deal, whilst we might be approached for 5,000, 10,000, when you actually peel back the layers, you realise it's not actually 5,000 or 10,000 they need. They, in, in a lot of cases, could actually need a lot more. Okay. What we are finding is a lot of clients are going out and they're just stacking. So they may have gone online, they may have got a short-term facility uh, of a relatively low amount to start with, could be, in, you know, again, 5,000, 10,000, could be 20,000, whatever the figures are. They, they get used to having that facility, but it's a, a relatively short-term and at quite high rates. They then go out and try and find another lender that would do something similar. So when you actually look into their overall commitments, they could owe 50 or 100,000 in some cases. So then when they approach us for another 5,000 or 10,000, it's quite evident that they just want to borrow that money to pay the premiums or the payments on the existing debt. So we, we can provide that to them, but we, we come back with different options. We always say, well, yeah, you can have that, but is that the best use of your resource? Have you considered taking those facilities out, extending over a longer term, put it onto a proper, proper structured transaction that will actually be a, a lower interest anyway, um, but it just enables your cash flow so you don't then have to keep going out, borrowing 5, 10, 20, 15,000, you know, on, on a sort of very frequent basis just to pay the existing debt. 
It's really interesting you say that because um, invariably, if you've said that it's taking up to 12 months sometimes to put everything in place, and with the rates changing all the time and fluctuating on a day-to-day basis, that must be extremely difficult to actually keep the costings down when they've signed up at one time and then the rates change. How do you adapt to that? (laughs) Quite honestly, you can't. In, In the current climate, Pre sort of well, August, September last year, it was relatively straightforward. Um, the funders would normally stick to a rate and that would be the, the rate going forward. But because there are so many fluctuations out there currently, it, it swings and roundabouts. You know, we, we've had clients that have approached us. We, we got them the funding that they wanted at the start of this year. They then drew down a um, couple of months ago. You know, so it, it took a few months to get in place and the rate had actually reduced. So in that case, that client won. But on the flip side, we've had other customers come through and the rate has gone up. <laughs> so it swings around about. It, it isn't really it? is, yeah. So as, as long as they've got it in their cash flow and their forecasting to make sure that they can cover those costs and they can service it correctly, they're okay. Where, where it does fall down is where you get property investors, which is a, a, a completely different sort of animal when you, when you think about lending. Property investors have got to make sure that the rents that they're collecting have a certain coverage for the mortgage that they're taking out on that property. And, of course, as the interest rates go up, that puts the monthly payment up, even if they've taken it over the the, the sort of extended term, that could actually throw out the debt service cover. So what they thought was viable when they first put in a bid to actually buy that property becomes no longer viable for them nor the lender. Wow, I thought my job was difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Learning about all these, all the other businesses that are coming in for the podcasts, it's uh, it's it's absolutely amazing to actually hear what it is that you go through on a day to day basis. I mean, on that kind of uh, idiom, what do, what does a typical day look like to you? Is every day different, or do you have a, a set process for each day that you're doing different things? Every day is so different. Yeah, we, we've got so many different clients, you know, which, which range across all sectors. We, we deal with a lot of professions, so yeah, solicitors, accountants, which can be introducers to us, but also our clients, you know, and we can help their clients as well, you know, as, as part of Reciprocal. Um, we have uh, clients that are in hospitality, which have been hit massively, obviously, during the, the sort of lockdown. They're coming out the other side of it now. Uh, we've got engineering clients. Every client is different. You know, so we have to put so many different hats on during the daytime and you, you have to get personally involved with that business. You, you have to look at it as, right, what would I do if I'm running this business? You can't just look at it and say, here you go, that's all you can have, take it and, and close the door on them. That, that's a lifetime relationship you're going to have with that client. So every, every day is different. It's very interesting to, to hear um, your your take on your organization um it it, it sounds really difficult um it, it i guess it shouldn't be um but does it, it do, you, do you get to a stage where it's, it gets quite overwhelming or do you just take each day as it comes uh, with reference to all the things that you have to do especially if every day is different for, for me i have a structured format uh, to each of my days but if every day was completely different, I think I'd go slightly mad. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. The, <laughs> the, the structure I have, um, and I am actually quite regimented with my structure, so dependent on what day of the week it is will determine 
how that day is structured. Of course, yeah. But obviously, you've got your, your core hours, you know, and my core hours are typically nine till five because that's typical sort of banking and typical business hours. Now, I know obviously businesses work around the clock in a lot of cases, but nothing generally happens outside of nine to five. So they are always going to be my core hours. I always take an hour's lunch, and that's always between one and two. I make a point about that because I think if I, if I, if I start skipping my lunch and actually start doing something out of the ordinary, then that's my own process is failing me. Yeah, everything else then could start suffering as a result. If I deviate from what I know and what I'm used to doing, then I think I would struggle. So I will make a point, one o'clock, okay, down tools. It might not be necessarily having lunch, but it might just be going out for a walk, going out for a wander. You know, just do something where I'm away from my desk, away from the phones, and that is it for that hour. I think it's so important to be able to have that mental mindset um, because you have to look after yourself. And um, funnily enough, um, when, um, when I first met you um, a, a while ago now, uh, a few years ago, um, uh, and you gave me your business card, the first thing I did was, was write on it, do not call between one and two. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> just, just to make sure that that yeah. customer focus was there <laughs> and from a mental health point yeah, of view yeah. that you would be left alone. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it is so important. You, you, you should be able to step away from your business, whether it's for an hour or a day or however long a period of time you need uh, because you need to de-stress and um, uh, and just think about yourself, uh, for, for, you know, from a self-care point of view, because we're overwhelmed by business, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely right. And you know, do, doing what I do, I take on a lot of pain and stress of my clients, because I hear some real horror stories where, help, I'm going to be losing my business if I can't do this, you know, or I've been let down at the last minute by my bank because they promised me this, and it then turns out that actually they can't deliver this. Can you help me? Which, of course, I will look into, and I can't help everybody, but I'll look into it. And at that point that I'm looking into it, what they had looked at probably six months prior, thinking it would be absolutely fine, all of a sudden becomes an emergency for them because they need the funding tomorrow or next week. So all the pressure then comes on to us to actually make sure that, A, we're delivering the correct product, but also in a timely fashion for them because it can have major effects on their business. Are there any kind of, um, just staying on that point, um, with reference to clients, are there any kind of huge kind of success stories? I don't mean monetary-wise. I just mean think, you know, clients that have come to you with an issue that you've resolved and you know, like you've sat back at the end of the day and gone, you know what, that was brilliant. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, have there been... Uh, difficult circumstances with clients that you've had to negotiate with yes and yes okay. <laughs> is the answer <laughs> so the I, I always look back at a case that we did um, for a independently owned boutique hotel very very nice property um, their incumbent bank was in there for a considerable sum of money to help them refurbish uh, make sure that it was all satisfactory so they could continue trading they just wanted to to update things and keep things going lovely business unfortunately as part of the the, the refurb um, they actually discovered that there was asbestos in some of the rooms 
So that meant that this hotel could not operate at capacity. That had a detrimental effect on their cash flow, of course. They had to close um, a particular wing down as well as some other rooms. So it ended up operating probably at about 25%. Wow. Which put massive great strain because, of course, they'd got this whopping loan out with their bank and it, they just weren't able to keep up with the demands because, of course, they wanted to pay staff. So the bank had no option other than to, to foreclose and bring in the liquidators. So we, we were actually approached um, by the liquidators to see if we could actually help them and, and do some restructuring, which I'm glad to say we were able to help. We managed to lift out the bank. We put some other senior debt in. We put it on terms that were actually favorable to the client. And as a result, the business then retained its ownership. They were able to take on some additional um, owners, which helped them in terms of management. But more importantly, we saved 110 jobs. That's absolutely astonishing and kudos to you for being able to do that because invariably what sometimes happens is, like you say, the bank steps in, forecloses, businesses folds and um, and then everyone loses. No yeah. one wins anything. Yeah. But by what you've done, um, you've as you've said, you've secured a legacy for that boutique hotel um, yeah. to be able to trade for a much longer period of time and come out the other side happy. And that's what it's about, isn't it? It's all about customer service at the end of the day. It, it really is, yeah. And, and on the flip side, which kind of answers part two of your question, I suppose, um, which is kind of related in some respects, we, we've got clients that we're speaking to where we put forward good packages in order for them to have their business run successfully. They go and speak to someone else, you know, the, the, the so-called experts, which is probably their mate down the pub, <laughs> And they're, they're, they're advised, close your business. You know, if you've got some existing debt, just dump the business. And they don't really realize the impact that's going to have on them in the future because there's a, a thing called crown debt, of course. So if there's any HMRC, HMRC debt that's owing, VAT, PAY, etc., they can come in and they are a preferential creditor. They can take whatever they want to get their money back. So dumping a business isn't the most sensible thing now there are cases for, for dumping a business um, but not just to avoid debt you're better off working through it if you can those that dump the debt and then start up again under abc uk limited for argument's sake instead of abc limited um not to say that is a client necessarily <laughs> i'm sure there is an abc limited um you know that they would go out and, and start up again the following day, running exactly the same business, exactly the same staff, but under new contracts, but under a new business. Now that business, the new business, the Phoenix business, if you like, has got no chance of any getting any future credit, because all lenders and all banks will look at it and say, well, no, sorry, you, you've dumped a business and you left a load of debt behind you, so you're now coming to us for more money. You're not going to get it. You know, so these so-called advisors that are telling people to dump business, I'd say exercise some caution. That's really um, interesting. I'd, I'd never even looked at it that way. And I guess, um, you know, I didn't know about the, the crown um, debt aspect of it, um, which is absolutely brilliant and should be transferred because you do hear about um, all types of trade organisations or businesses in general um, doing a not so good job and then as you say dumping that debt and then setting up as a new company um, and you hear it all the time yeah. um, on documentaries on tv and radio and so forth so it's it's nice that that is in effect to protect people um, yes 
I, I think what it boils down to really is it, business finance isn't just about borrowing money. You know, it's not just about leveraging money. That that's a, a big part of it. You know, anyone that wants to expand and grow their business, let's look at the positive side of it. It's far better to leverage other people's money than your own. You know, go back to a simple cost accounting. If you buy a machine in a engineering company, if that machine includes all the finance charges, the staff costs, everything else costs you £100 an hour to operate, you've got to make sure that that machine is generating £100 plus the profits you want out of it. Now, the easiest way to keep track of that is by making sure that that machine is on finance because that's a fixed cost through that term. It's not going to deviate. The more hours that you actually get that machine working, the more profit you're going to generate. So it's it's actually self-financing over the term. So rather than using your own money, you know, you're far better off keeping that cash within the business so that if you do get things like crown debt suddenly jump up or you take on a bad debt yourself, you've got some reserves where you can actually get yourself out of it. So always use other people's capital, if you can, to grow and expand your business. Absolutely. Um fundamentally clear with the focus isn't it i mean there's there's a great deal of um choice out there um for uh businesses that do kind of on the along the lines of what you do um so what you know what kind of things do um what kind of things do people look for when they're fundamentally looking um for services like yours do they tend to go down the route of just going onto a search engine and putting in the first ones they see um, or do they, or is it more based on recommendation than anything else? I, I would say that our business is based more on recommendation. Um, we, we do have a, a, a great sort of web presence. You know, we've got um, good social. That works. That, that's absolutely fantastic. It, but I think that just really goes to reinforce that we are, we, we are a, a, an entity that exists <laughs> as opposed to anything else. You know, we we're not necessarily looking at going out to the masses and getting inquiries coming in left, right and centre because with that, that creates more work. What we're really focused on is looking after our existing client base and those clients that get referred to us by our existing clients so that we can actually have that long-term solid relationship. We'd far sooner do that and grow with them. You know, We'll grow our business with them growing their businesses rather than going out there trying to look at getting a, a, a sort of market share, if you like. And I think what's, what's evident in the, the, the sort of recent months or, or recent years is that more and more businesses want to deal with people that are local. The platforms you can go on, you can punch in what you're looking for, and it's going to come up with all these different options, which, let's face it, are, are just shop. You know, it's, it's just sort of window shopping, really. It's going to come up with all these different rates, and you're going to go, yeah, fantastic, that one's the cheapest. Why wouldn't I go for it? By the time they've actually gone through that process of trying to apply for that particular finance facility, they're not going to get it. They could be a, a million miles away, for all they know. They don't really know who they're dealing with, so there's no real trust. You know, There's no longevity to it. I think trust, um, uh, you know, that word is used... I was at a networking event this morning and uh, that was one of the words that came up. And every time I speak to clients across the whole of Sussex and beyond, the trust element is the fundamental core focus of the brand. And as you said, there's an overwhelming level of companies on the search engines. And it's, you know, it's, 
you can be bewildered, you know, get bewildered by the amount of companies that there actually are. So that, you know, by getting them on referral and recommendations, which is a, a much nicer way of actually getting clients, I think, as opposed to cold calls, because you just, you just don't know. And it takes, everything takes such a long period of time to get to where, get those clients in place. It, it really does, you're absolutely right. And if a client is recommended to us, we treat that as a genuine inquiry. Yeah. We do get, you know, through legacy, you know, I've, I've got clients dotted around the whole of the UK. You know, I've got clients up in Scotland, I've got them in Newcastle, I've got them in Wales. Wow. So you know, we're, we're happy to deal with those clients. Now, we, they will refer us to other people in that geographic area, absolutely fine. If people find us outside of the, the, the sort of southeast, London southeast, via our website or through a social media post, we'll always question it and say, well, why are you coming to us? Because we know that people like to deal with people that know the area and understand where they're coming from. So we'll speak to them. There's more risk of that deal not actually being a real deal. Someone just kicking the tyres, just wanting to really see what they can get, which we haven't got an issue with necessarily. Yeah. You know, they just want to sort of test the water. That's absolutely fine. You know, it doesn't cost them anything. Um, so we'll always entertain that. But more importantly, from our point of view, we've got to think about the fraud aspect. You know, if we're dealing with people that we know and people that have been referred to as by people that we know, there's less likelihood of it being fraudulent. Very interesting. Um, with reference to um, loans that people get from um, your business or businesses like yours, yep. obviously there's no business like yours, but obviously we just suppose <laughs> <laughs> you break into that before I say anything. Um, so obviously, if people want kind of loans, do they tend to go for like unsecured business loans or secured business loans um, or professional loans? I mean, what's the main? What's the real difference between them? Well, okay, so professions loans are generally from lenders and providers that really understand the professions market. So you'd be talking about accountants, solicitors, yeah, or, or a multitude of architects, surveyors. So what they class as, as professional firms, doctors and veterinary practices, etc. Um, they will have a, a particular department that understands that whole industry. So they've really got the finger on the pulse. They know what to look out for. And, you know, they, they, they can read between the lines in a lot of cases. Of course, yeah. So profession, professional loans is a, a sort of separate category. When you think about unsecured or secured loans, they could be professions loans as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you could get a professional that would approach us, and we have done. You know, we, we've helped a number of um, legal firms where they're on an acquisition trial to actually sort of say, yeah, we're going to go and buy this firm next door. We've raised X amount on the expected income, which has been on an unsecured basis by way of a professions loan, but they just need a top up, in which case they'll provide a bit of security, which will then enable us to bolster what we've what they've already got and actually get them closer to the the, the actual desired figure that they're after. Um, now, the biggest difference between a secured and unsecured loan, of course, is that there's generally more flexibility with a secured loan. They can... Uh, do seasonal payments they can extend the term you could have zero payments at the start it might be that you have reduced payments at the start and generally the rates are going to be a little bit more keener because obviously there's security there so and there's going to be more flexibility with an unsecured loan 
it's very much down obviously to the current and historic serviceability. So a business might approach us and say, okay, we're gonna be starting up a completely different division within our, our business, our organization. We need 50,000 pounds to do it. If the accounts stack up for them to borrow 50,000 pounds and we can get it on an unsecured basis, which is normally gonna be supported by a director's guarantee anyway, so it's not completely unsecured, but you, you'd have that, that facility in place. Now, it might be over a shorter term because the lender might say, yeah, we'll, we'll do that, but it's only going to be over two years. We might be able to get three years, might be able to get four years, but generally three years is probably going to be the limit on an unsecured. If the accounts don't stack up, but the customer, the client actually approaching us for the funding knows that they're going to turn that £50,000 into £100,000 in the first year or £200,000 the following year, then they're more likely to actually go down the secured route because they can't get the unsecured lending. And this is where we get the problem of people stacking. That's when they'll go out and they will borrow the smaller amounts from multiple places and try and build it up and say, right, I've got the total of £50,000. But they'll be paying eye-watering rates. It's only going to be over a 12-month term at best. And the hoops that would have had to jump through would just be a complete nightmare for them. And from that word, from, from the get-go, they're going to put themselves under pressure financially. And, that, and then, in essence, that's not, that's not a place anyone really wants to no, be. No, no. Because uh, running a business is a bit of a shit show at times. It is, very much so, <laughs> I yeah. to be careful what I say. Um, <laughs> but it is extremely difficult running a business um, and getting everything right the first time yeah. doesn't invariably happen. Um, so we found that we've, we we know we now know a lot more about your business. So um, with reference to your kind of the business name, yep. I, I mean, it's 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 simply well, it's it's straightforward. It is, and it, it says what it says. It says what it does on the tin, I guess. Yeah. Um, so how did you come about the business name? <laughs> so my myself and my um, ex business partner. We, we were thinking about how do we best define ourselves, you know, as what we do. And there's so many generic finance brokers out there that call, them, call themselves different names, some of which mean certain things to certain people, but doesn't actually mean anything to anybody else. Yes. So we just said, we just want to keep it really simple and straightforward. And we just kind of said, what about simple business finance? And we thought, no, that's probably not right because it's not simple. You know, it's actually very, very complex behind the scenes. But from a, a client-facing point of view, we want it to be as simple for them as possible. So we, we just checked out a few names on Companies House, made sure that no one else had it, and surely enough, no one else had the name. So we formed the company and called it Simply Business Finance, just so, to follow the complete ethos of us making it simple for our clients. Which is, in essence, you know, the, the, the most simplistic format to actually uh, put the business through. Um, and I, I love that, that, you know, you, you, you haven't tried to uh, make it difficult for people. And also, you know, it's much easier on the search engines, I would think, to yes. find those kind of words as well. Yeah. Um, what I struggle is when, with, when people use words that are so difficult to pronounce, um, you can't find them on the search engines and you just give up. Yeah. And then you tend to go just for a competitor or something that's Absolutely. got an easier wording. Yeah. Um, with reference to your, um, we've obviously delved into your business, um, uh, which is obviously what it's all about. Yep. Um, but I'd like to um, find out a little bit more about you, uh, really. Um, so, you know, 
what do you do in your spare time or do you not really get spare time <laughs> if you're because obviously you know in, invariably you need to spend time with as you do in your lunch break I guess uh, between yeah. one and two um, but you know in your spare time what do you what do you get up to do, do you know what I mean the 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 spare time aspect out of it is is really really key um, as I say I, I run a sort of fairly regimented day and outside of that I do uh, martial arts training so I make sure that I attend regularly. I go on a Tuesday, a Thursday, and a Saturday morning. My, my little son, he, he's just actually decided to come with me, which is great <laughs> oh, news. That's brilliant. Um, so I make a point of making time to do the things that are important. And, of course, outside of that, it's not just about me. It's about the family as well, the kids. So whilst I'm out on a, on a Tuesday evening, Thursday evening, and a Saturday morning, outside of those times in the evenings, I'll spend time with the family. You know, I, I try to make sure that I'm there when or at home when the kids get back from school, even if it's just to say hello. I'll go and continue my work from, from my home office or something. But it's just to say hello to make sure that I'm present and the kids actually get to know that I'm there. And if they need me, they can always call upon me. Um, so that that's kind of a, a, a sort of usual week, if you like. I, I'm a, a sort of keen runner. I go out and listen to music events. Um, you know, go and try and catch a few sporting events. So, bizarrely enough, even though I'm very busy, we do as a family have have reasonable sort of spare time, which is yeah, which is critical mass mm. to your business. Yeah, you know, as you have such a structured work life, you need to be able to step back and um, enable yourself just you know to commit to family time and like you say in the sporting events and stuff like that and that's brilliant that your that your son is now doing that it is um yeah. i do tai chi um, oh, in, in the very early mornings before the twins get up yep and my little daughter has just uh, started karate yes and, and now her, her brother um has also decided uh obviously the twins he's technically two minutes older and he loves to lord it over her yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah you know who's the older brother oh yeah, i yeah. am oh here we go again um you know but he's now said he wants to do karate so there'll be both of them doing it you know yeah. so they'll be spending a bit more time doing it but um do you do any other kind of martial arts as such or do you just have one defined kind of um uh Thing that you do it, well it is karate yeah that that's what i um that that's what i practice and i think that's helped massively with my discipline because it's a very disciplined martial art you know unlike kickboxing i mean it's, it's still a martial art and it's great it's very active um but it's not as disciplined as karate would be and i think once you follow a, a sort of process and you have that discipline built into your mind you can then transfer that skill into your professional life so it only becomes who you are, and obviously very much in your personal life, you can actually adapt that and transfer that skill for everything that you're doing. It's, it's interesting you said about the discipline aspect, um, because um, my twins, um, well, they're not massively disciplined. But now that you've said that about karate, uh, that, that's going to hopefully bring them into bear, it you will. know, with reference to what they're going to be doing through the course of their life. Yeah. I mean, they're only young, but obviously um, that sets them up um, for that process in their, in their mindset, I guess. Um, who would you say is your um, kind of um, biggest biggest inspiration in life and, and, uh, and why? Oh, okay. It's a big, big question, I know. That, that really is. Um, it's such a difficult one because if, if I sort of look back over my working career, I've, I've been very, very lucky 
the the businesses that I've been involved with have been pretty much startups themselves in in some respects. And I've been involved with um, three businesses now, which is still ongoing. They're still very strong, um, trading nicely. And each of the um, shareholders that, that kind of backed me to help them grow their businesses, I've taken massive great inspiration from. You know, they've always been they've always been present. They've always been approachable. They've always they've always helped with anything. So, you know, I've I've been extremely gifted with the people that I've met and worked with over the years. So I don't think I could say one person. <laughs> no, it's it's difficult. It's always a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, we've all been, whether we admit to it or not, we've we've all been mentored in yeah. some form or fashion in what we've done, whether it's by your parents or whether it's by an actual you know, business coach as such to yeah. push you to the next level and so forth. Um, but it's, it's never an easy uh, uh, question to answer. And I kind of threw that at you, so I do apologise. No, no, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, with reference to um, just going back to kind of, uh, you know, your kind of personal life, really. Yeah. So where, where did you grow up? You know, have you always been in Sussex? Yeah, I'm Brighton, born and bred. So uh, I spent uh, oh, crikey, too many years in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, moved out of Brighton, must have been about 14 years ago. Uh, my daughter's just had her 12th birthday. So, yeah, it was about 14 years ago. Uh, got married. And, of course, the natural progression is that we, we obviously want to start a family. So I always wanted to be um, close by enough so that I could help my wife out if she needed help see the children so that that was always the plan so we we kind of sold up from from brighton moved up to haywards heath just to see if we liked it um that's where my office had uh, at the time relocated to from lewis so it kind of made sense to be on the doorstep as it were and yeah then along came eva and we looked back and sort of said okay she's going to be starting school obviously in in a few years time do we want to stay in haywards heath or do we you know move somewhere else in mid sussex or or do we move back to Brighton, which is where my family and friends are, and, and uh, Louise's family and friends are as well? And we decided that actually we like Mid Sussex. It's, it's just such an accessible place. It's it, you can get into Brighton and see your friends and family very easily, very quickly, and you can get out very easily and quickly, but have the quietness and the quaintness of Mid Sussex. You know, so Brighton's very busy, which is great, but you want to be able to walk away from that at times step step away a bit at times yeah. don't you i think it's part of the reason why why we kind of moved to Hurstbury point um in the yeah. same kind of idiom right i guess um that we wanted to be able to um have the best of both worlds yeah so have the busyness of brighton which i love and adore um but also be able to step back a little bit and you know st- still be in kind of you know not too not too far away from Brighton. Yeah, I think we're kind of I think we're very lucky in Sussex. Yeah, I think we sometimes take it for granted um, that um, it's such a beautiful county and there's always so much to see. Um, just taking you back a little bit further, it's not on the questions. It's another one thrown at <laughs> okay, you from yeah. Curveball. Okay, so I do apologise. Um, what was your and I'm kind of <laughs> intrigued by this one. Um, what was your favourite subject back in school? Oh, that was maths. Of course, it would have yeah. to be. Didn't well, it? no, not necessarily. Really? Yeah, okay, it, all right. do you know what? It's Tell so more. strange. <laughs> yeah, it's with, with maths. I like the certainty of it. You know, it's it, it's an absolute science. So I always, always really enjoyed maths. You know, learning about not just knowing that two plus two was always going to be four, 
but it's why does 2 plus 2 equal 4? You know, to me, it was actually really breaking that down and learning the mechanics behind maths. It's brilliant, isn't it? Because, you know, I had this conversation with my son, Jack, um, a few days ago, and we were talking about maths, and we were talking about the number 8, uh, not because he's eight, he's nine now, but we were talking about you know the mathematical equations of eight. Yeah. So you know, like seven plus one, four plus four, you know, five plus three, blah blah blah. Yeah. And all the different equations that roll back to that single number. Mm. Um, and you're right, it's an absolute science. Yeah. So you know, you can't get it wrong. No. Um, and uh, it, it's you can't do anything without maths. No, you can't. And you know, I'll, I'll throw this one in. Um, when I actually left school. I wanted to be an architect. <laughs> so I was learning all about sort of construction, you know, in the foundation stages. And calculus and maths came into it so much. And I found that it really, really helped with that side. So it's just one of those subjects that I just absolutely loved and, and still do to a point. It's brilliant that you do. Otherwise, you'd be struggling in your business. I probably would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming towards the end of the podcast. I can't believe it's been nearly 45 minutes already, which is a bit insane. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to ask you a couple of, um, if uh, we can, a couple of kind of personal questions that yeah. uh, we've highlighted, some whimsical questions, yep. and then maybe um, one or two, if we have time, uh, like an industry experience uh, or like a closing question. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah? Okay, so the, kind of the first one is... Um, What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Best compliment? Um, going back to my family again, always. Just completely unprompted. I was at home uh, watching the TV, not mind my own business, you know, drinking a cup of tea. And uh, my daughter, I mentioned, she, she's 12 now, so this must have been a couple of years ago. She just came in completely unprompted, sat next to me, gave me a hug and said, you're the best daddy ever. It's wonderful when they say yeah. that. It really is because it, it just it humbles you. Yeah, yeah. I, it just came out of nowhere. You know, I hadn't hadn't done anything particularly special for her that day. You know, it wasn't as if she had been asking for something. I'd gone out and got it for her. She just did it off her own steam. Just came back. And said, You're the best daddy ever. Oh, it's beautiful. It's very nice. So, next question: um, How would your parents describe what you do? <laughs> so, right. So, my, my dad's no longer with us, unfortunately, but. Um, my mum, uh, she, she has been into my office and she's a number of times commented and said, so what I get from, from you doing your work is that you're behind a computer and you talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm kind of like, well, I, I suppose, yes, that's probably it. <laughs> it, is, it is quite hilarious. I run, um, I've got four brands within my business, as you know. And one of those is a trade show. And um, when gr Granny came along to the event last year with the twins, um, she walked in, and because it's a professional trade show and it's hundreds of businesses, she walked in and she went, oh, so this is what you do. I thought it was like a village fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's great, so isn't the it? Perception, the yeah. perception is everything, isn't yeah. it? Everything. Amazing. So, it is. So um, the whimsical question is, um, would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert? So I would say that I'm very much an introvert. Okay. Um, probably not on the, 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 the sort of scales that people recognise it necessarily, but I'm always happy to listen to people. And I think that's why I've succeeded so well in doing what I do for my, my business. Um, just really like to listen and gather more about people. So 
I'm not the first person to go in and start shouting. Now, my, my wife would probably disagree with that. She'd say, no, no, you're always there. You're always at, you know, front of front stage and centre and all the rest of it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm on the quieter side. Excellent. We're running out of time. I've just been given the nod. So I've only got a few minutes left, yep. so I have to speed up a little. So th- as a closing question, um, what are three books you'd recommend to your audience and, okay. and why? So... Okay, the books that I'm reading currently, um, I've, I've got two actually right. that I'll go through just to keep it shorter. Yeah. So one is The Analysis of Genuine Karate. Okay, now that's all about misconceptions, origins, uh, development and the true purpose of karate. And it's great because it goes back to the traditional karate as opposed to the sports karate that we actually see on TV. Now the reason I bring that up, it's not it's, it's something that I do personally, obviously that's one of my, my, my main hobby, um, but when you actually translate that into business and professional, you can actually see how um, doing it the old way isn't always better, but it's no less um, sort of current than doing it the new way. So you've got to blend the two together to actually make sure that, that both aspects, the old and the new, work together to actually generate something that's actually newer. Interesting, like a fusion Correct. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. And the second. And the second one is How Not to Die. Okay. <laughs> now, that, that's, <laughs> that's by Michael Greger. Okay. Um, now, he's a doctor. Um, he lost his father um, at a relatively young age, I think he was. And um, he wanted to go out and investigate how people were living in different areas. So, you know, different continents, Asia, America, Europe. Um, and he went around to actually analyze how people were or, or what the highest risk to them was medically, you know, which would end up being terminal for them. So he went out and looked at the different foods and the different drinks that they were having, and he's actually written a book to sort of say, right, these people have avoided um, this particular disease, these people have avoided that particular disease, and found out they've got a higher concentration of this in their diet and they've got a higher concentration of that. Now, the reason I'm reading that and the reason I bring it up is because I think if, if you look after yourself... You're going to put yourself into a good stead, A, for your own personal life, but also for your business life. Absolutely brilliant. I really, really appreciate um, you bringing those to bear. Thank you, Gary, very much for coming along today. Absolute Um, pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Um, We'll see you again very soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Hubbub, the Director's Hub podcast, sponsored by the Sussex Business Show.